Open with me in your copy of the Word of God to the book of James, James chapter 4, verses 11 through 12 this morning, page 1013 in the Bible provided for you. It just occurred to me this morning that Dan Kruver was assigned to that announcement, and I think that was a good idea. Uh, Some of you do as well. Last time, I think I gave that announcement and made like a Captain Crunch joke, and we had Captain Crunch for breakfast uh, the next week. So don't do that, but you can leave me a box. No, don't do that either. That would be too much. Well, there is something about that scene of a young man who shows up at his date's house to pick up a young lady for an evening and meets the father with a shotgun. I think I, it's a very vague memory of a friend. I don't even know who it is, but it's got put in my head. I think it was a friend. Um, maybe it was his experience with a father. He was uh, going to the home to pick a daughter up from, uh, had a nice greeting and a conversation, and in the course of maybe a half an hour, got shown a variety of guns around the house and like where they were, and maybe it was just sort of how that family is, or maybe it was what that dad decided to do to that young man. It may be showing him a shotgun, it may be having him over for dinner and engaging in conversation. Uh, the, po- the point is, she, she belongs to someone. A father stands behind her. And it's important for a young man to know his place and for that young man to know hers. Fathers are so very important. Well, hold that illustration in your mind now as we read this passage concerning how we treat one another in the church. James chapter 4, verse 11 through 12. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Do not speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters, for when we mess with one another, we mess with our Lord. Well, there's some things we need to get out of the way as we head into this passage. This last little line here is a famous question, isn't it? But who are you to judge your neighbor? It's a famous question. It's famous because it is frequently used. Uh, It's also famous. That word used is a good word there. Um, It's also famous because it is frequently abused. There's something to say for getting something out of the way before we put our ear down to a passage that we might hear what precisely the biblical author is attempting to say, or we should say, clearly saying. Uh, Sometimes the Bible isn't clear to us, or it is misunderstood, not because of it, but because of us. This sure is one of those unmistakable 
cases. Uh, So first, uh, what James is not talking about. James is not talking about righteous judgments concerning beliefs or behavior. Um, James does this. There's a right way to do it. There's a context in which to do it. Um, We are not uh, an amoral people who believe anything goes as long as we do it. Um, because it would be awkward to say, to say otherwise. No, James engages in this very kind of thing. He did call them, remember last week, you adulterous people. So he's not contradicting himself, uh, having judged his neighbor and now saying, don't you do it. Um, no, somehow that must fit. The New Testament itself is fraught through with vice lists, uh, virtue lists, Uh, concerning, in in one case, uh, sexual immorality uh, being uh, not just wrong, but a matter of defrauding neighbor and stealing glory from God and a matter of disobedience. There are lists concerning our behavior and the things we believe uh, on the basis of which Christians should make Righteous judgments concerning themselves. That is discernment. They're discerning, speaking from truth, speaking truth, and all of that. James is not talking about righteous judgments concerning beliefs and behavior. James is also not speaking of righteous judgments concerning salvation in the context of church discipline. So his brother is Jesus, and Jesus spoke those words in Matthew 18, When a brother sins against you, you go to them in private. Um, That's, by the way, uh, the pattern of one who is not judgmental. He doesn't go to everybody else first, but he goes to the brother uh, who sinned against him first in private. And if if that brother digs in in unrepentance and the sin is clear and demonstrable, then others are brought in um, so that the charge might be established by two or or three witnesses and there is escalation uh, from there. Um, There's all kinds of... Uh, engagement as a church in everyday relationships around here at that first level of private conversation, and it's really good when that happens. I can think of even a letter, I don't know it was confronting me with sin so much as it was advising me in my pastoral practice, and, um, and, and a letter they started, I, I have not talked to anyone else about this, um, but I wanted to share this with you, and I thought their perspective was very helpful instructive for me, and it sure helped me receive it. Um, They were smart to offer that word there. I say smart, uh, not because I may have rejected it, because that's very Christian of them to do, and they wanted me to know they were handling it in a godly manner. And of course, I brought the matter up with a colleague or two right away, and we had a good conversation about pastoring and loving our brothers and sisters here. That was my point, is that he's not excluding that kind of thing, that, hey, I think you should have, or or, or you said this to me, and here's how that hurt me, and, and I want to be right with you, I want to be reconciled. Um, we go to each other, and Jesus has directed us in this way, and that's all very, very important. James embraces that. That's not what James is talking about. Um, so now that all that's out of the way, what is he talking about then? Well, we're going to take some circles of context to give ourselves uh, a good ear to James's words to hear what James is saying and what was in James's head as he said it. We back up to verse 11 here. In verse 12, he asks, but who are you to judge your neighbor? That comes at the end of an argument. 
It's a very efficient argument. It comes at the end of an argument that begins in verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Then he says, the one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. So you see, speaking evil against a brother is not precisely the exact thing as judging. He says, speaks evil against or judges. It's overlapping conceptually. Then in in the middle of verse 11, he speaks evil against the law and judges the law. The point is, is it's very hard to, to speak evil against someone or a thing and not at the very same time be setting yourself up as the judge capital J, judge of that thing. So we're to hear this question, but who are you to judge your neighbor at the end of verse 12 as at the end of an argument that begins by addressing those who are speaking evil against one another and who don't quite recognize the import of what they're doing. So that's the context, the immediate context of that little question there is an argument in a paragraph. But we could zoom out, of course, further to James's letter. James 2, verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. And notice here he says, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Well, he's been talking about brothers, so why does he bring up the word neighbor Are these just roughly interchangeable? Yeah, kind of. Brother is speaking very narrowly of brothers and sisters in the context of the local church. But when he says neighbor, that should call to mind that royal law of love, as James has called it in chapter 2. Quoting Jesus and quoting the book of Leviticus, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And in verse chapter 2, he was speaking about showing partiality and committing sin in doing so. But that quote, love your neighbor as yourself, he doesn't have to keep bringing up to show its relevance. He's, he's quoted it, he's dropped it in there, and we all know it touches all of the behavior that he's addressing in his book. Well, let's zoom out and hear, hear Jesus now. Remember, so much of uh, James's book is a meditation on an application of Jesus's preaching his sermon in the Sermon on the Mount. Well, in Matthew chapter 5, you don't need to turn there, I'll read some of it. Jesus preaches, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. I must say something of what he's like. For he makes his sun rise in the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more do you, are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Or in Matthew 22, when the Pharisees heard that he had, been, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Here's the test. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? A picky point they spent a lot of time on. And he said, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, but he wasn't done. And the second is like it and goes together with it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
So James quotes Jesus, but remember Jesus himself is quoting the book of Leviticus. Now we spent half a year or so in the book of Leviticus. I've said that, by the way, before. We spent half a year or so in a certain book, and some of you will say, no, uh, Trent, that was a full year. Uh, I don't remember. I think it was like 19 sermons, so that's about half a year. But Leviticus, remember these words in Leviticus 19? Remember Leviticus, that center book in the first five books of the Bible, which is the foundation for the whole of the Bible's story. The center of the book of Leviticus is the Day of Atonement, where That goat takes all of our sins on his back and is sent out into the wilderness as God takes all of our sins as far as the east is from the west. And another one goes very into the very presence of God representing us and is killed in our place, life for life. And everything leading up to chapter 16 is showing the way to life with God and everything after chapter 16 is showing us the way of life with God. And chapter 19 of Leviticus is a very important chapter. Quotable. You shall do no injustice in court, and you shall not be partial to the poor. There's that matter of partiality. To defer, you shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. And you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. That's how important this is. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. It's an interesting way to contrast there. Don't hate your brother in your heart. What do you do when you're feeling those kinds of passions and, and emotions and sins welling up? Well, you should instead reason frankly with your neighbor, which admits that you may not be right. They may not be right. There's a reasoning that has to go on. There's an appeal that should be made. People are persuadable. They're owed that. There may be a reason to hate your brother at a human level if God is not God. But instead of hating your brother in your heart, what should you do with your situation? But address them. Reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you sin because of him. So your sins are not excused just because somebody was evil towards you. So husbands and wives are always engaged in that work of reasoning together. And sometimes some of us are more reasonable than others, but that's the work. Not hating one another in our hearts. Oh, it's a temptation. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, Leviticus says. Now here it is. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. (laughs) This reminds me. um, There's a family in our church told me about how they are handling the candy after Halloween. And it reminded me of how I handle cleaning up in our house. Um, You know, there's a lot of candy in the system after Halloween. Um, Halloween, and you're trying to keep it from going in their system. So sometimes you need a system to get it out of the system so it doesn't go in their system. And there's always the trash can, and that's really efficient, but that can offend the children. Um, so this system was, if there's a wrapper on the ground, and we find it, we pick it up, and I knew where the brother was going, but it was better than I thought. 
Um, then we take three pieces of candy, and I thought I knew where he was going, but it was better than I thought. It's three pieces out of everyone's buckets. <laughs> so then what happens is that the kids are cleaning up wrappers after each other, and of course they're not perfectly successful, and so the candy is pulled from the system efficiently enough. Well, in our house, the cleanup, the cleanup at night, I, did, I wanted a system where I didn't have to remind them or follow up. I just wanted to go to bed. The system is, look me in the eye, you all know, okay, sentences, you all know you're part of the house. Okay. Double inspection, no one's done until it's all done. Okay. You know you're part of the house means they know they're part of the house. Number two means... Uh, so there's three olders, this applies to them. Like, they're not, you know, number one is not done with his part of the house until number two has inspected and signed off and number three. And number two and number three can say, hey, you didn't do this. And they cannot complain and they have to do it. Now, okay, follow me. You think, so then what keeps them from being mean to each other? Well, they each have to do this with each other. So, and, and then when one's done, they're not done. None of them are done until everything's done. And so if one's done a little faster, he's not going to judge the one who's slower, but just get to work. You see? Then I can go to bed. It works great. <laughs> so I'm, I'm hearing this brilliance in this line right here. Jesus says, from Leviticus, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's an easy way, at least, to know how this is supposed to look. And wouldn't that be a great church to be a part of, where each of us loves one another as we love ourselves, which includes forbearance, for we forbear with ourselves, which includes truth. So that's the context for James's question. Who are you to judge your, can you hear it now? Neighbor. He's used that word brother time and again in this book. Now he swaps it out for the word neighbor, calling to mind Jesus' words, calling to mind the book of Leviticus, which addresses us concerning slander and false witness and hatred in our heart. All of that is on James's mind, even as this question is on his lips. A famous question. We're going to call this kind of speech defaming speech. Defaming speech. Speech and words that are spoken, whether true or false, that are spoken against a brother in order to bring them down. Words spoken, whether true or false, against a brother in order to bring them down. Uh, two shorter expressions, throwing shade and throwing them under the bus. Okay, so throwing them under the bus is... You can imagine, it's terrible. And buses are some of the largest vehicles on the road. Uh, 
Don't throw someone under the bus, he's saying. But throwing shade, that's a good expression too, because shade is subtle. Um, throw some shade on somebody. Cast them in a dark light. That's the idea. Speaking evil, judging a brother, judging a neighbor. And this little section that we're in right now comes to us within a larger section. You remember verse 13 of chapter 3 addresses us concerning the reception of wisdom, receiving the meekness of wisdom. He's dealing with the matter of pride. God opposes the pride in chapter 4. He gives grace to the humble. He shows us what humble, what humility looks like and then appeals to us and compels us to humble ourselves with the promise that he will exalt those who humble themselves before the Lord. Well, what we have right now is the first of three paragraphs where James does what we could say a more granular application. He's, he's addressing high-risk areas as he sees it in the church. So here is our speech in relationship to other people. Uh, the next week, we're going to deal with our pride in relationship to the future. And then the third week, he'll deal with our pride in relationship to our wealth. Now, these are three areas that James is addressing relevant for his churches and for us. But the fact that he's addressing these three unique areas of vulnerability as he sees it is an invitation to all of us to apply this matter of humility and pride in our own lives in church, in our times and in our place and in our, in our church. But we're going to follow James's lead these next three weeks. And, and right now we begin, of course, with this two, set of two verses in chapter four. So he's begun with a prohibition. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. And now he moves on to a matter of persuasion. Persuasion. We have here a string of problems. Remember that James, a few chapters ago, one chapter ago, uh, helped us with our speech with an image of fire. A small, a large fire is started with a small spark. So, so that little word you say, that little shade that you throw, that comment you make about somebody, that word to a kid about your spouse, that word to a brother in our church about another brother or sister, all that can burn the whole place down. I've seen it. I'm in a unique position. Some of you are in a similar position or have been. Uh, and it's not like a weird knowledge. It's just what you accumulate. Like I know who's in what small group and who carpools and who has the mommy date and, and what dads hang out. And I can like, if I hear about a terse and ungodly word over here, I can feel it in the whole system. I feel it in the whole thing. And there are some of you are like that. You're networked and you know and some of you are our best godly policemen around here. And the reason why you're not willing to hear uh, uh, a defaming word is because you care for that whole church, not just you know, a pleasant experience with the person whispering to you in front of you. But you care about this whole thing. And if they're talking to you that way, surely they're talking to three or four or five other people that way. We can't have that here. If all of us did that, the whole place would come down. A spark can burn a whole church down. 
That was super helpful to think on that human plane about the effect and consequences of our speech. Now James, with this string of logic, helps us think more vertically about our relationship with God. Not just what our speech does to people, but what our speech does to, does to our relationship with God, even to God, if we could be so presumptuous. Fire, now we could say a string of problems, moving from relational now to theological consequences. We'll take this in three steps. You'll notice there is a string here. I'll read it, listen for it. You can hear the handoff between thoughts. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. But there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? And he lands it with a punch right there. This, this string of lines is an argument, a string of problems, I'm calling it. First, defaming speech says... I'm better than my brother. You know, this is reading between the lines. This is what we're saying when we're saying something defaming about a brother or a sister. Brother is right there in that first line. Easy to miss. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Um... His most frequently word, used word, I believe, 19 times he'll say, brother, in this book. Uh, James's favorite way to address his readers by word count, his favorite word, in a word that conveys something specific and deliberate. And James is doing this as he pastors us. It's a word that conveys a sense of family. Remember from chapter 1, verse 17, every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And that Father who gives perfect gifts, the very best gift among his gifts is that of the new birth, James says, for he brought us forth by the word of truth. We are born of the Father's word of truth into the Father's family as children so that James can say, brothers. It's a word that draws to mind a matter of family. It's a word that conveys affection. In verse 16, just a verse earlier, do not be deceived, James says, as he goes on to address them. But he addresses them as my beloved brothers. So not only does it call to a mind family, but it calls to mind the affection that should mark our families. And this is a reason, husband and wife, to be affectionate with each other. This is a reason to cultivate, to model, to discipline for and insist on affection between children. It should not be okay for our children to hit one another and speak hateful words against each other. Let that be intolerable from the earliest age in your homes so that they might read this passage and know exactly what James is talking about. 
Brothers should not be a word that comes with a sting. Brothers should be a word that calls to mind great affection. Of course, the Lord needs to bless all our parenting better than we deserve, but this is what to pray for and what to work for. It also calls to mind a certain kind of equality. James 1, verse 9 through 11, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich brother in his humiliation. And why? Because like a flower of grass, he will pass away. But the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. There is, there is a kind of parity between all of us as human beings made in God's image, regardless of what we go home to and have in the garage. And that's certainly the case as co-heirs in Christ, members of God's family, as brothers, regardless of what rings we're wearing when we walk in or what clothes we had to put on that morning. We have differences in wealth, There were differences of wealth in this church that James is writing to, but there are not differences in worth, and we treat one another according to who we are in Jesus as those made by God and brought forth by the word of truth. So defaming speech says, I am better than my brother. But brothers are not the only ones we speak against with our defaming speech. Defaming speech, secondly, also says, I am above God's law. I'm better than my brother, and I am above God's law. The one who speaks against the brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. The law the royal law of love, which summarizes the old covenant. So many of those specific commands swept into Jesus' new covenant commands for his church, for they are rooted in the very nature of God and his purpose for humanity. He redeemed us so that we might love one another as we love ourselves, even as he has, he has loved us. Oh, we make poor judges and lawgivers, don't we? I'm so glad that I am not, that God didn't come to me and say, hey, why don't you go ahead and write uh, the, the law for like how your church is going to interact with each other and your, your behavior and your speech trend is going to be the standard for your church. Ah, well, let's look in the mirror, each of us. How would we be doing as a church if, if we were all talking like you're talking. Now, maybe you'd say, pretty good. And I would say, that's the case for a lot of us. Uh, but we know ourselves and what's in our heart. And we know we don't meet God's standard. And we sure don't want our behavior to be the standard for the church. So this is humbling for us all to speak a whispering word against a brother in order to put him in a bad light is to put yourself against the law of God for what you have done is against his law. And it's like the, uh, the co-worker at work who shirks all the policies and the rules and they can kind of do whatever they want. And what they're saying by that is those rules 
don't matter. And I'm bigger than they are, and we're good, and I'm good. They just assume work in a place where there were no rules. And as we don't do that with God's word, some of the rules at our workplaces might be bananas, but not in the Bible. God's word is good and his law is gracious and his law is, is good. You know, I've said that defaming speech can be speech that is, whether true or false, against a brother to bring them down. Uh, but let's focus on that matter of defaming speech with false uh, words uh, first, or for a moment. Uh, Westminster Catechism, we can give thanks to God for saints who have gone before us and pondered these things. We aren't the first. Uh, puts this so beautifully and convictingly and compellingly in answer to question 144. What are the duties required in the ninth commandment? The duties required in the ninth commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man and the good name of our neighbor as well as our own. Appearing and standing for the truth and from the heart sincerely, freely, clearly, and fully speaking the truth and only the truth in matters of judgment and justice and in all other things whatsoever. A charitable esteem of our neighbors, loving, desiring, and rejoicing in their good name, sorrowing for and covering of their infirmities, freely acknowledging of their gifts and graces, defending their innocence, a ready receiving of a good report and an unwillingness to admit of an evil report concerning them, discouraging tale-bearers, flatterers, and slanderers, love and care of our own good name and defending it when need requireth, keeping of lawful promises, studying and practicing of whatsoever things are true, honest, lovely, and of good report. And you say, Trent, why are you preaching this this Sunday? I'm like, it's the next passage. Um, but you must know about this thing. Well, honestly... Every Sunday I know about a thing. Uh, every Sunday you're going to have something you set in mind based on all of that. What a beautiful articulation of what God has called his church to. And a reason for humility and for us to draw near to God that he might draw near to us through Jesus. And a reason to humble ourselves before him and to receive all the grace that we need. Westminster Catechism, question number 144 Look it up, print it out, read it, pray it. Defaming speech says I'm better than my brother, but it also speaks against the law. It says I am above God's law. And third, defaming speech says I am over God himself. If we say the law is not good by treating it dismissively, 
then how are we not also saying the lawgiver is not good? If we speak against a brother and therefore against God's word and law of love, how are we not also speaking against the God who gave it to us? And so James brings this home to our relationship with God. This book is not just about how to get along, for it couldn't be effective if it doesn't address us in our hearts as it concerns our getting along with the God who made us and redeemed us so that we might not be adulterous people, but faithful people in whom the word of truth is growing, for we have been brought forth by the word of truth, a people who has received the implanted word that is growing within us to help us to live according to those words we just read from that beautiful confession. Defaming speech says, I am over God himself. But James says, there is only one lawgiver and judge. We would make poor lawgivers and judges, and we sure would make poor gods. Thank God that we aren't the standard bearer. James moves from a prohibition, the first line, to persuasion, this argument that he has made, now to landing a punch. But who are you to judge your neighbor? A, humili- a humbling realization, I'm calling it. A humbling realization because that's how it's supposed to land. It stings, but it stings as one who speaks to us from love, who called us brothers, who says, who are you to judge your neighbor? Well, three things we are. We are fellow image bearers with our neighbor, as James has pointed out. We are also fellow brothers saved by the grace of God because we are fellow sinners against God's glorious name. We have a lot in common with each other, don't we? Enough to keep us humble. Those are three things we are. Three things we aren't. Well, we aren't God, and we aren't above God's law. We're not lawmakers. We're lawdoers to be. And we aren't better than our brothers and sisters in this family. So let us not speak defaming words against one another in order to take one another down. Rather, let us speak humbly of one another, even exultantly, and esteem one another in love in order that the Lord might, in time, exalt us. And so as we humble ourselves, not taking one another down, we remember that the Lord himself came down to us, did he not? Did you notice this in verse 12? There is only one lawgiver and judge. This will humble you. This is a humbling realization. One, that you aren't God, but two, who God really is. There is one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. Why did James say that? I always just thought it was him speaking in a matter of summary. God's the one who saves and destroys. But why mention save? 
and destroy. Unless to highlight that he's a God who saves. You see, in sin, when you and I open our mouths against each other, when we give in to this temptation, which we all have, uh, we don't show ourselves God's willing to save. Only God's willing to destroy. If I had it my way, they'd be out of my way and they would be under my feet, is what we say with our words. Oh, but God is the lawgiver and judge. He's a judge with all the facts on you. He's a judge who is perfectly just, who hasn't done anything against you. And yet he is a God with all of that knowledge and power who saves. Isn't it humbling to know that we aren't God? Isn't it even all the more humbling and we need it to know God as the God who is lawgiver and judge, who could destroy both body and soul in hell, but who saves instead? And did you know that when Jesus is giving his sermon, the Sermon on the Mount that we've been quoting from, from the book of James that James meditates on, that when Jesus was giving that Sermon on the Mount, he was presenting himself as the fulfillment of the law given through Moses. He was presenting himself as the lawgiver. And that as he spoke of himself coming to judge with the angels in the future, he presented himself as judge. Jesus, our lawgiver and judge, doesn't defame us. So let us humble ourselves and not defame one another even when we know true things we kind of feel like saying to feel a little bit bigger than our brother or sister. And let us give great praise to our great God for his great salvation. I'll close with these words from Charles Simeon. The longer I live, he wrote, the more I feel the importance of of adhering to the rules which I have laid down for myself in relation to such matters. Uh, let us be the kind that lay down rules for ourselves. First, to hear as little as possible what is to be, what is to the prejudice of others. Second, to believe nothing of the kind till I am absolutely forced to it. Third, never to drink into the spirit of one who circulates an ill report. Fourth, always to moderate, as far as I can, the unkindness which is expressed toward others. And fifth, always to believe that if the other side were heard, a very different account would be given on the matter. Well, it's good to remember, friends, that there is a father who stands behind every brother or sister in the room, and he cares about how we talk about and to one another. Let us be the kind of church that is marked by love for one another, even as we love ourselves. And let's pray. Father, we confess that we have heard and I have said some things that I am not up to. I have not proven myself up to even this last week. We all need help with our tongues. And we, we give you praise for you are a God who comes to us with very great help. Uh, you tell us, even as you give us these words, uh, to draw near to you, and you promised us that you will draw near to us. 
You have humbled us and you give us the assurance that as we humble ourselves and come to you for this help and ask for wisdom, that you will indeed offer that wisdom, that you will help, that you will draw near to us, that you are not against us, but you are for those who come to you through Christ. Help us be this kind of church, marked by the very love with which you have loved us in Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.